Pickle, 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 episode number, I don't remember. How you doing, Chris? What up, Bobby? I'm good, man. Let me look. I'm going to actually need to look that up because I'm embarrassed. 14. Is it 14 or 15? It's one of the two. So we, we started our new, uh, our, our media management in our Dropbox folder. We got franchises now, which is huge. Uh, let's see. Almost there. Almost there. I just opened a video by accident. We're going to get there. This is episode 15. 15. Yep. So coming to you live from my office. No green screen tonight. Uh, we're recording at night for the first time. I got a, a tweet out seeing if anybody's got some topics. But uh, are you ready to get started? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm coming okay. to you live from my office and not my basement, which is weird because I don't have a cool backdrop either. But neither one. You still have a cool backdrop. Yeah, shout out, uh, Baseball Savant. Speaking of fun, NBA, uh, this was, the, I believe, the first pick. Is that right? Number pick. He's high, high pick. This guy, Anthony Edwards. Producer Pat, number 11, Patrick, you're saying? 1-1. One, one. Wow. Okay. Pick number 1-1, one, one, big NBA guy. Uh, Anthony Edwards. This dude came straight out and said he doesn't really like basketball. Football was his first love. He loves football because you can dance and do fun stuff, uh, which is funny because it's the No Fun League. He plays basketball because he's good at it. He dunked one time. He's like, hey, I'm pretty good at this sport. I should stick to it. Uh, also, his brain's not going to get damaged playing basketball. It's amazing to me how many guys get injured in football. They, they made the thing about, like, it's COVID. There's not enough prep, not the spring training or whatever they call it in football, that guys are just getting demolished. Like, legs are snapping – Play basketball. Not to mention, there's guys in the in the NBA getting paid seventy million dollars for four years. I've never heard their name. I have I no idea who they are. Six men in the NBA is making sixty-two million for four years. Yeah, if I was six eight and could run and jump and shoot, I'd definitely be in the NBA right now. Here's the best part about the basketball: if you stink and you can't play in the NBA, you just go to like Turkey or Belarus or Indochina or whatever, and you make like four million a year. So even if you stink and you can't play in the NBA, and by stink, I mean you're really good, but you're not good enough to play in the NBA. You just go make $4 million bucks somewhere else. How, how is the revenue? I mean, there's less players. There's less games. Is it all TV money? And they have, it's a different revenue share compared to other sports? Uh, I just think it's How's less. I think it's less payroll in general. You don't, you're only carrying 15 is the roster that's with guys that are uh, on 10-day contracts that are up and down when the G League. Is it the G League now? It used to be the – league the cba or whatever but so if you're on one of those two-way contracts you're, you're still like still making pretty good money and then you can play in the g league and, and make money and but the alternative is go play in europe for a bunch of years like you remember tony kukoc with the bulls when my dad was working for the basketball team in italy tony kukoc got drafted by the the bulls and then he just stayed in italy and played for probably four years made some good dough was probably making million and a half a year and this is like 1994 1995 um took care of his family and then came over and did his thing in the nba just in case it doesn't work out and it's good basketball over there man there there were some dudes that would come over here to the states and end up playing you know five six seven ten years in the, in the nba and average 15 a game so it's good basketball it just depends on the lifestyle you want you only play one game a week in europe you play on the weekend um, if you have, it's like the champions league too, where you have stuff over there where you're playing midweek and in international, like country to country, but back to the, the Anthony Edwards thing, I give him a lot of credit, man. 
I'm about that life. I, I wish I didn't love my sport as much as I did, because then you're not attached to it. You're not, you don't live and die with it. Right. So the, the old adage care enough to not care. People said that to me all the time in baseball and I never understood it because I lived and died with every at bat and every moment. And, you know, if you're not hitting 330, you're, in my case, if you're not hitting 330, you feel like you're not good. And, and then you take over fours like way too seriously. And I don't know, man, I, I, it's just a job, man. At the end of the day, it, can he be as good as he could be if he loved it? I, I don't necessarily think you need to love it. I think you just need to have a relentless desire to win. And if you have that, you can become a really good player. Cause I think I heard somebody say this this year, at some point, at some point you stop loving the game the way you did before when it wasn't a job because it just consumes your whole life. So I don't know, man, to come out of college and have that feeling right away, we, we, we're going to have to see how it plays out and kudos to him for having the guts to say that openly. Yeah. The whole care enough to not care or just don't care at all. Yeah. And, and and just treat it for what it is. He can go play, what ten years, be create uh, big time wealth for his family, generational wealth for his family, and just kick it. And you know, if you look at it that objectively, just go do it because you're good at it, and just move on. My uncle said to me something at one point. My uncle's huge into fishing, right? Loves fishing, and uh, we went fishing on the Cape one time, and he. I was like, why don't you just do this all the time? Like you should get, you should do like a fishing charter. He's like, be careful when you make your hobbies, your profession, because you may not love it as much as you think you did. It's like a good escape, but it's not like your thing. And I'll never forget that because I, you know, trying to play professionally myself, having a very marginal, marginal independent league career, you know, you're chasing stuff. You're, you're putting yourself in tough position in life by pursuing a dream. And I'm glad I did it. But when you look back at it, you're like, that was a terrible financial decision. <laughs> Should have never done that. Um, it is what it is. But for this guy at this level, you're talking one, one in the draft, he's getting paid. I would have concerns if I, if I was running the draft, I would have concerns about what kind of motor is this guy going to have when he faces adversity? You know, you're investing dollars into him from a business standpoint. I wouldn't love giving money to a guy that doesn't I mean, if he just straight up is a professional and he produces, he's talking about having like a rap career. He's talking about how he wishes in the NFL. It's a little dicey for me, 1-1. One, one. At the end of the day, can you come with it or not, right? Because in, in order to be successful, I think, you just when push comes to shove, it's when – I knew you were going to say – I was going to say, what, as Chris says, when push comes to shove. Can you come with it at 705, man? That's the only, that's the only answer that we have to find out. Um, I, I don't know. The thing about passion and desire and all that stuff is really what that allows you to do is it pushes you through the moments that are hard, right? And it pushes you through the moments that become really difficult. And I can't tell you how many guys I play with. That'd be, it'd be the fourth day of spring training. And they were like, man, is it hunting season yet? Or is it fishing season yet? Guys that just didn't, and, you know, in retrospect, I give them a lot of credit because when you're that attached to it, you live and die with the emotional swings of the game and, and the direction your career is going. And honestly, the people that I find to be most successful are the ones that can get away from it. They just, they just recognize it for what it is. And at some point it becomes a job. It, 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 and that's, that's what fans will never be able to understand. Like there was a whole saga when Johnny Damon went to, from the Red Sox to the Yankees. Right. And all the Red Sox fans are like, oh, my God, I can't believe Johnny Damon left to go to the Yankees. You could never play for the Red Sox and go to the Yankees. I'm like, 
bro, if you looked at, if you looked at this just completely objectively and somebody said, here's 7 million over here and here's 9 million over here and you get 9 million for the next four or 7 million for the next four, you're not, you're not married to the team. Like you're just, you're just not. And I think fans have just a really hard time making that connection. Now, if Johnny Damon grew up a Red Sox fan, maybe I could make the argument that I would take the seven and say, okay, I'm good. But it's hard from an economic perspective to look at it and, and be objective because when you make $62,000 a year and you see a guy making 11 million, that is, you have a hard time even finding that connection. You're like, what's the difference between 10 and 11? Well, you know, probably two Bugattis if you really want to come down to it, like, or at least one Bugatti and a Ferrari. Yeah. I don't think anybody's turning down a Ferrari and a Bugatti if they give – like, if somebody's like, here, here you go. You're not like, oh, I don't want that. Is there any scenario where you turn down a Ferrari? Uh, probably not. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, morals, if there's – I don't know. There's this, I would, I'm going to say yes. There's certainly circumstances where you turn that down. Uh, let's move on. Blaze Jordan impresses with bat speed and power in Instructional League. Uh, you familiar with this kid? I've been I've known about him for a while. This kid's got stupid pop. Just Way famous than I am. Silly, silly, silly juice. Um, I have his uh, his perfect game stuff up. His diamond kinetics number. So the uh, on diamond kinetics, the impact momentum number is to me the biggest indicator of power potential. His is thirty three point four seven nine. To me, once you get over like 27, you're like creeping into D1 territory. I, I'm pretty sure that's the highest number I've ever seen. I've seen some 31, some 32. Steve Palzolo, shout out. I think he was 32. His max acceleration is 56.408 Gs. It's a lot. Um, and his barrel speed was recorded at 88.360. I have never seen barrel speed over, I think, 75, 77. So to see 88, makes me think it's like a misread or something because it's, it's just ridiculously fast. Um, I remember reading at one point that Albert Pujols' bat speed in-game was like 67 miles per hour. There's a, there's a huge trend going on with bat speed right now, and it's, to me, pretty comical. Um, Dustin and I, Dustin Geiger, Nuclear Baseball, we did a review on the, uh, the Axe Bat Speed Trainers last week. <clears throat> Catch that on YouTube, like, subscribe, all that. Hit the bell, alerts, whatever. What do, yeah. the, kids, what do the kids say? Um, <laughs> So there's, there's validity to doing overload, underload. There's validity to having like enough bat speed. But if you're not looking at bat speed in the context of quickness and like, can you actually hit? Producer Patrick said something to me last week. He goes, do people sell bat speed just because it's easy? And I was like, yeah. It's like when you get in the weight room, you're going to have a neuromuscular response the first few weeks lifting. So you're going to have huge gains. Raider gun's easy to sell because you do weighted ball programs. You just chuck the ball harder. Hey, it's working. Pay me more money. Uh, yeah, I think people sell bat speed because it's easy. Um, I can just talk trash to a kid and boost their bat speed. I can, I can get you to PR on your bat speed just by chirping you. So it, if you can't do it in a game, if you don't have in-game pop, now this kid does, and this, that was a, quite a rant about bat speed, but I just think it's fun. 88 is absurd. It's not I, even real. I just want to stop you because you dropped a neuromuscular in Pelotero Pickle. Are you allowed to have a podcast called Pickle and say neuromuscular? Yes, I just did. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, that dude, that kid, he was smashing baseballs at 
Where was where was the first he the old Rangers? Yeah, it was uh he did it at the old Rangers park. He was hitting yeah. like over the Budweiser sign that I didn't even know existed. When he was like thirteen, probably a Marlins spot. Yeah, I think at thirteen he was hitting like four hundred fifty foot bombs. So I, he, yeah, this is how you become a cult hero is do things that grown men can't do when you're thirteen years old. He wasn't he, he was in eighth grade. He committed to Mississippi State or something like that. And Some, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it was great because you're like, oh, he's committed to Mississippi State. Do you feel good about that if you're Mississippi State when a thirteen year old is hitting balls five hundred feet? commits because you're like he's you know gonna get drafted in the first round so are you like yeah good for us we got this guy or no uh i think you yeah it helps promote your program brings attention if you can get a guy like that to commit to your program even though you know he's not coming there then yeah it's, it's i think it's a good thing if you're a recruiter you gather attention i guess so for me you know look i think the the, the point of the topic was you know, is he checking the boxes? Like, should this guy ever work on fast speed and exit velocity and power? No. Like, don't – like, just wake up and breathe and you're good. You Like, you check the box, dude. Stop trying. Like, your objectives every day should be let me learn how to hit the ball the other way. Let me learn two-strike approach. Let me learn how to compete. All the things that inherently will happen through playing baseball. Because if you're already really good at that stuff, your emphasis should be on everything else. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I'm super curious to see what that turns into. Is it the case of, is it a, is it the same case as, uh, as Anthony Edwards? And you're like, man, am I even going to like this? Cause when you're 13, if you're spending that much time on the showcase trail and getting that much attention at some point, does it get overwhelming or whatever? I, I don't know, but I, I think for him, just learn how to hit. And I think everybody would be excited to see the, uh, how it translates into high level play right that's the thing they always say that's the thing that's at the end of the day what's going to make or break you as a player because nobody cares if your metrics are good one time out of you know 40 at bats what's the prospect suspect line you're only a prospect till you're a suspect dog there you go (laughs) yeah he's gonna i mean he better learn how to hit spin because he (laughs) you got fast hands you're gonna nobody's gonna challenge you with a fastball it'll be it'll be curious to see it'll be it'll be it's one of those things that this kid has had so much attention on him for so long. I mean, he's probably, he's been in the, has he been in the limelight longer than Bryce Harper was before Bryce Harper was drafted? That was pretty close. I mean, it's about the same Same conversation. Similar. Yeah. Uh, I think Bryce Harper was even more hyped. And then Bryce Harper went to junior college and hit like a thousand homers in 20 years. Junior in high school. He went to junior college. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to leave high school early. Like, absurd. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, he certainly checks the boxes for him. It's going to be all about commanding the zone and, and dealing with failure. Because how much failure does a kid like that have? Like you're, when you're that talented physically going up against other high school players, I mean, it'd be like going back to little league when you're in high school. It's so, a joke. Side note, funny story about Bo that I don't think I've ever told publicly. Uh, you know, obviously we had a good relationship with Bo and he was, Oh, yeah, as one as highly in high school prospect that there's ever been. Um, people were worried about, you know, he had big moves coming out of school. And I remember the Blue Jays would ask us all the time, like, hey, you know, are you worried about the, his moves? And I said, I've watched this kid play. And I said, he's as polished of a high school hitter as I've ever seen because he, I mean, it literally, you could tell he was bored, right, playing in high school because whatever. And so I was down and extended and it was the first day that they were going live. So I'm taking at bats on the backfields and, and Bo had two at bats that day, literally two at bats first day. I think he popped up and grounded out and he comes up to me. He's like, we gotta go to the cage. 
And I was like, what? He's like, man, it's your first, like this is your first time with, against high level competition. And he's like, no, no, no we gotta go to the cage. And really I was, I just became like a sounding board for him. There was no instruction. There was no nothing. All like he was saying things and I was just like, yep, yep, you're good. And I was like, well, and I was trying to convince him that, Hey, like, dude, this is your first time playing at this level. And he's like, yeah, but Chris, these guys stink. And like, not to like downplay like anybody else. He's like, dude, they're not good. He's like, and I'm like, well, it's, it's weird to hear a high school kid say that about other professional pitchers. Now, granted, they were all, you know, kids at the same time that were extended. And then he proceeded to hit, I don't know, 390 in the GCL, had more RBIs than games played. Um, I was watching him play daily and he was like rolling out two barrels by himself, went to a, a no stride, two strike approach. And I think he did most of this with a burst appendix that first year, like which they were, he was having stomach aches and he was like, Oh, his appendix burst. But this is how much of a superhero he was. I think the, the, the appendix actually absorbed itself into his body. So he didn't like nothing bad happened. And he was just went on to you know, be the future shortstop of the Toronto blue Jays within the next three years. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope it's that smooth for him, but Bo was special in the sense that just didn't, didn't accept failure like right it wasn't going to even be an option so it's pretty special out of a 20 year old kid 19 year old kid yeah and, that, and that's if i'm an evaluator of this kid blaze that's what i'm looking for like i would just want to i would want to watch him in his normal hitting sessions like how does he respond to a bad swing what kind of adjustments does he make how quick is it like when he makes an out what are, what's his dialogue to me that that's where the hitters define yeah the body when you have when you you've you've you're your physical tools are not in question whatsoever. Who are you? Like, who are you as a player? So, anything else on, on Mr. Jordan? Michael or Blaze? Blaze. All right. No. Michael, yes. All right. This one should be interesting. Patrick, you should probably tease this one. Robinson Cano suspension. Thoughts? Thoughts? <laughs> so. Don't be uh, getting my face right now. Let me, let me get <laughs> Yeah, talk. Yeah. So, Patrick, thanks. Producer Patrick just throwing Chris under the bus here, but not also throwing you under the bus. Um, <clears throat> so, obviously, let's just dig. Let's let's lean into it. You were suspended for nothing. Apparently, yeah, I don't. So you've so you've lived you've lived a suspension. You've experienced a suspension. Ongoing things regarding that i don't know how much detail we can go into but you've experienced this you felt the wrath uh i personally felt it as like a bystander because of my connection with you throughout life uh what are thoughts on robinson cano this is a two-time offender clearly your situation is different there's so much research with this oral turning ball with what's going on in the ufc and threshold levels and like nobody actually knows what the drug is what causes it and there's like just a whole bunch of just nonsense happening with that specific substance uh cano is definitely doing like hard stuff very different two-time offender suspended for a year mets get to save 24 million dollars as a result uh did he ever really like apologize the first time because i felt like like andy pettit came out and kind of said like yeah i did it and then the world moved on there's a bunch of group like nelson cruz did it everybody just kind of moved on how so certain guys kind of like navigate this in a way that's different and then just go on with their life and go on with their careers and nobody really brings it up it's two-time offender what do we got uh, putting me in a real bind here you know like i 
look. Maybe it'd be therapeutic for you. <laughs> I, honestly, played against Robinson Cano. I think he's just a special, special, special player. I don't know any context. I don't know any information beyond what I hear on the surface level. So uh, am I judging? Am I not? Is it any of my business? I don't really know. I, I know Steve Cohen's like, yeah, we get 24 million bucks that we can spend on other people, which is, I think, probably a good way to look at it. Um, you know, from the perspective of like, how is it perceived in the world and nature? Uh, different guys have different storylines that go with them. I think the more you just kind of, you know, hide behind a rock and don't say anything, the the easier it seems to be in terms of your recovery. It's like when you're getting bullied in school, right? When you're a kid, if you just don't care, like everybody stops bullying you because they, they're not getting to you. Um, again, different circumstances in my situation for anybody that's followed it. I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it feels like we've gotten to the point where I don't know what to believe anymore. But then again, we live in a world where one person's telling me that, you know, coronavirus is going to make humans implode outside. And, and another one is where people are like, I don't even think it's real. Now, again, you could find whatever argument you want to fill your narrative or your agenda. I think as humans, we just, we should take more responsibility as individuals to really evaluate situations better before we judge them. Um, and I'm not a person that likes to judge or give my opinion unless people ask me for it. So um, I, I don't know if that's a very fulfilling answer or like a perspective on it, but. Yeah. So let me, let me say this. So with your situation for the DHCMT supplement or not supplement, the DHCMT Dehydrochloromethyltestosterone. Didn't think I'd ever know what that meant. Yeah. Oral turinabol. It's like an it's a known thing that the the amount that there's like multiple. How many guys have tested for it in the different sports? There's like dozens of guys. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're probably looking at fifty, a hundred. That most yeah. So a lot a lot of people are testing positive for this trace amount of this one particular metabolite, and the metabolite is what your body processes supposedly, but the amount that that people are testing for they say like one picogram mm -hmm. is like if you took a grain of salt and you divided it 19 million times, 50 million times. 50, Come on, man. You, you take a grain of salt and multi and divide it multiple millions of times. And that's one picogram. And these guys are testing positive for like eight picograms. So this could be like some drug that's in some water supply. That's like, they just have a drink of water at their house. And it's like such a microscopic, microscopic level. Uh, they don't do general population testing for it. So they don't know if it's like prevalent. They don't know anything. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> when, what was the, the Icarus? Was that the one with the bikes? Yeah. And who was the catcher that was on the, the Rangers at that one point? Um, Teagarden, Taylor Teagarden, where he was like, he literally was taking steroids and didn't get caught. And guys that are now not taking steroids are getting caught. So the whole system is pretty messed up right now. And I don't know the specifics of, of Cano's situation. I feel like there's... Uh, maybe it's Corona related. I haven't seen too much backlash for Cano other than like one idiot. Like can't believe you did it again. That's the the basic like thing that I've heard. And then they just dismiss it. So it's the off season. It was a shortened season anyway. Uh, I saw a bunch of people using Cano as like an example of like, Hey, look, swing mechanics, he's better now. And then like a steroid things comes out. So there's a bunch of baggage that gets associated with this, but 
like, I don't know what to believe with this stuff anymore. When I was coming up through, like when we were in college, all the, the Palmero pointing at the camera happened. I remember, I think I was on my flight to my Florida trip when watching that on JetBlue, like the first time plane, planes had TVs, like Palmero and McGuire and that whole thing. So I grew up just absolutely despising steroids and like wanting nothing to do with it. Like keep it as far away as possible. You'd see kids in college, like one year they're super skinny. The next year they come back, they're massive, just tree trunks for legs. And you're like that, something's going on there. It's, I mean, it's fairly prevalent that people are doing stuff to enhance their performance, but it happens in every industry. It just so happens that major league baseball players are on a public stage. So it's different. And it's, I really don't know what to trust at all. I I just think it's incredibly difficult to, I don't know, to just put this onus on things and say, well, this is performance enhancing and this is not. Well, like coffee is performance enhancing if you want to like make that argument. And, oh, you had too much caffeine and, you know, Adderall, Vivance, like things. Adderall is, and some guys need it, but like, that that's a you're taking something to change what your body naturally does i I just don't understand the line here's here's my take on it right and this is what i've said for a long long time and i've i've said this openly about myself right my my number one tool was always my brain i i used my brain to process information probably better than most if i had to guess I, i whatever and if you put this it's just wrench in your life and i've always been a person of character that cared about my integrity and things like that and now all of a sudden you've you know kind of publicly called that into question in a lot of ways and it became much more important to me to to have my brain and my the ability to function and reason and rationalize and think through moments and it's paralyzing right it was just very paralyzing so to that point um i think about you know amphetamines like those whole argument i've never tried adderall i never was interested in trying anything that would affect my body because i felt like i had a pretty good grasp of life now when you take when you take the mind and you enhance the mind through whatever it might be to me that's a far more valuable asset in baseball in our sport anyway than anything that you could gain physically right because we watch guys like Mookie Betts and, and Jose Altuve who are, you know, smaller in stature, not as big and strong that hit the ball as far as anybody, or they hit the ball as consistently as anybody or whatever. And, and that's not to say that I'm not naive enough to think like, Oh, well, if you, you don't, you know, you enhance yourself physically, you're, you're not, you're not going to be a better player, but at the same time, like you can give me the best athlete in the world and you take and you have no brain. And I'm like, you can't compete. Right. Now, you take a not-so-good athlete and you give him the best brain ever, he's going to be a pretty good baseball player, in my opinion. So, I don't know, man. This is this topic has – it just has so many branches that people are unwilling to kind of, like, go past surface level to look at. And I just – I try not to judge, man. I, I, I just respect people for their ability to perform and compete and, uh, and the way they played the game. And Robinson Cano's played the game for a long time and been a really, really good player. So, you know, do I know what happened? I have no idea. And, you know, if I got a chance to talk to him, I'd probably find out. And, and then I still wouldn't judge him because at the end of the day, like, he's an individual who, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do. That's it. That's, so be it. Yeah. We got a post-show topic from Twitter. <clears throat> Jeff Grenert out in Arizona. 
He's curious about, so he has two sons who are in high school. They've been putting in some work and walk. I've been following them. Uh, how would you prioritize workload of player development between weights, hitting, uh, movement versus game stress? You got defense, you got nutrition, you got sleep. How do you prioritize? What do you think? So, um, really easy question. Everybody, everybody, anybody that knows me and that's known me for five minutes, um, would, would know wholeheartedly that I believe in, in focusing on your skill far before you focus on the athletic stuff. Now, that being said, I was always a pretty good athlete. I always moved pretty well. I didn't, I didn't really, I was never big and strong growing up. Like I'm, I'm still pretty lean for a, a guy my height like if, if people ask me I'm like I weigh like 210 and they're like what you're six four, dude and and I just always believed if in my in my skill set right in my my craft we're gonna call it and I would much rather emphasize time on my craft than I would physical skills that allowed me to be bigger stronger faster because if I own if I own my ability to do things, if I just own that part of it, my craft, then I can be good with whatever version of myself that I have. Now, again, it, it's case in point. You give me the best athlete ever. They're, they're not necessarily a great hitter. Like you put LeBron on the field, you put whoever you want on the field. They're not going to be good hitters, period. So in, in hitting in particular now, defensively, does are there advantages to being fast and athletic? Sure. But, I was always taught if you can hit, you'll, they'll find a place to play you. Now things are changing a little bit in that dynamic where we're probably assigning too many points of war to, you know, defense and base running and things like that because some guy created a formula. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would say 80% of my work was always done on enhancing being a better baseball player, understanding how to hit. Uh, and to that point, like, you know, you're asking a very detailed question, like, is it, like is it game stress is it bp is it movement it's a little bit of everything but at the end of the day we need to be able to perform in games right we need to be able to play in games and the training should never revolve around being great at practice like and as a matter of fact and this is going to sound probably wrong to a lot of people practice doesn't matter like it doesn't matter like it literally doesn't matter you could be the best practicer ever and doesn't mean anything other than instilling confidence in you as an athlete yeah there, there's a lot of depth to this question, and I, I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, I need a whole show for it. Yeah. Um, maybe we can get him on and we'll do a whole thing with him because I'm sure he could probe into our thoughts better than we can just talking about it. Uh, so you're coming at it as like a first baseman. So coming at it as a shortstop who wasn't strong <laughs> enough, wasn't fast enough, didn't have a good arm. Uh, I think it's not that I didn't work hard in the weight room because, I, I mean, I, I worked really hard. My, um, I know my nutrition wasn't where it needed to be to actually like put on weight in the right places. In college, everybody did the same workout. Like there was no customization. There were no like assessments. There was, no, <laughs> I had no idea really what I was doing. The The level of information that's available now is is absurd. I feel like so many kids are just doing things because people tell them to do it. And it's like, oh, well, this guy's the expert. So I'm just going to do it. They don't even appreciate it. They just kind of show up and do the work without really making it their own. And I think that it sets a weird precedent when you're not like highly, highly engaged in your process and you're not really learning what works for you. You're learning, you're just doing what somebody's telling you to do because they're the expert. And I think ownership of it 
and that's that's like part of the practice for me was I treated practice reps like they were game reps. It was it was so much more about being prepared to be confident when it was in the hard moments. So like being faster would have been helpful to my career. Being stronger would have been helpful to my career. Having a better arm. Um, and it's not like I didn't go out and play long toss and like work at it, but it just like weighted balls didn't really exist. There was no J bands didn't exist. I don't think if they did, I didn't know about them. So there were, there were like, we had, we just had bands. We would just do like internal, like, like rotator cuff stuff, but it was nothing. It was like stupid green band. Um, Busy work. It's it, that was home. Yeah. Yeah. It was like somebody watched a video on VHS that they ordered off baseball express and like, Oh, this is what we need to be doing. <laughs> Tommy Which man, is, back to back to back to back to back national. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, but it, that's, it's the same thing that goes on now. It just happens faster on Twitter and it's all digital. You just download it and watch it instead of, you know, I can't even imagine that's, I shouldn't even say, I was about to say, I couldn't even imagine being a parent right now, but I am. So that was the, I just caught what? myself there. But like having my kids aren't old enough to be in sports, but imagine being like, like if my kid's going to soccer, I don't know anything about soccer. So where am I going to go? Am I going to get into soccer Twitter? Am I going to be on Instagram looking up videos, trying to find the best coaches to the, get the best drills? Um, I'm going to just contact Morgan Andrews because shout out Morgan Andrews. She's going to be my, my, my clutch go-to there for soccer stuff. But I mean, there's so much information. How do you balance it? I think you have to, you, you kind of have to know where you stack up. You need to know where your deficiencies are. You have to, like, I wasn't fast. And people would be like, I'm like, how do I get faster? Like, oh, just run more. I'm like, all right. So I ran, I ran indoor track, but I did like middle distance because I stunk at sprinting. I wasn't fast enough to be a sprinter. I should have done sprinting. I should have been in the weight room. There's a balance between playing other sports. There's a balance between having a social life. There's like competing in different environments. Competing in track is completely different than competing in baseball. And I felt like it helped me. So there, there's so many different layers to this. And there's no blueprint, man. Like there's no perfect blueprint. I, I, I'll say this, right? Athletes, athletes have to be self-aware and they have to be accountable to themselves, right? So the self-awareness piece is most important. So if we're going to describe a system of how we're going to do this, where do I want to go? Like, right? Like what's, where's the carrot? Like what, what am I chasing? If that's what I want, who am I? Like, this is who I am right now. Like what's going on around me to that, like people that are getting to that carrot and then like just figure out the things that you need to do. Like, but you have to be self-aware enough in terms of your evaluation and allow things to guide you along the way. Like not necessarily tell you what to do. Like athletes need to feel empowered at a young age. And I think that's part of the problem is like young people don't feel empowered. Probably they do a little bit more now than they did before, but I think they feel empowered in, in the wrong ways where, they want to be more combative because they're more informed as opposed to like feeling like they understand the process and the journey. And because the information is there to allow them to go, all right, like here's who I am. And now you can see everybody else. Like you can go watch, you can literally watch every player in America's at bats in the big leagues. Like you can watch all of them. And when we were growing up, like I couldn't go watch all of Albert Pujols at bats unless I lived in St. Louis. So I don't know what he looks like over the course of 550, 600 ABs. Now you have access to all that stuff. So, you know, pay attention to what you want to be and then pay attention to how you stack up against it and then figure out what you need to get better at. And like, you know, find the right guides, find the right people to trust as your, as your role models, as people that say, like the people typically that are telling you that they know everything are the ones that don't know anything. 
the people that have a tendency to say, hey, man, this is how I did it. I'm not sure if it's right or not. Those are the ones I trust. There was a, uh, I saw a tweet this morning and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I think it was Bobby Stoops. He goes, if, if there's a coach that tells you you can't teach speed, um, tell him he's right and then leave and find another coach because you can teach speed. And he's like, it's just a really funny thing that uh, like having that awareness and having that, like there's people out there that can help you and to get to where you're going. But I just thought that was a funny, go funny tweet. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much to this topic that uh, maybe, maybe Jeff will hop on with us. We can do like a custom, custom podcast pickle episode. Anything else post show? Uh, yeah, well, trash talking your teammates. I well, I had I had a pickle related thing. Uh, the movie American Pickle. Ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Seth Rogen. It's terrible. Do I, I couldn't. Watch it, now? it came up on my, on the uh, HBO Max. It's like a he like this guy from like I don't even know what year, like eighteen hundreds. Call it eighteen hundreds. Falls into like a he's working in a pickle factory and he falls into this big vat. I think of vinegar and then it preserves him. And then he comes back to life in current times and he's got like a distant relative, like his great nephew or something. I don't even know. Oh. It is so bad. Don't promote the pickle brand franchise. Yeah. Just don't watch that movie. Um, best Thanksgiving food. It's Thanksgiving week. What, what's your oh, noodles. Noodles. What? Just noodles. It's a it's a Tixbury family recipe. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Time out. You got to go beyond noodles. Like it's not just oh, like noodles. No, it's just that's what they are. They're, they're the noodles. There's a restaurant called the Noodle Company. Like I can go there, but it's just pasta. Like do you guys eat like those egg noodles you're talking about? Yeah, they're egg noodles. But it's, it it's just uh it, whatever it is, whatever the sauce is. Maybe I'll I'll tweet it out because we're making them. My mom's in town, helping out with some family stuff. So we got yeah, yeah, egg, egg noodles on deck. I'm judging your answer. I'm literally judging you as a friend. The best way to eat them is you get some nice mashed potatoes. And I, I always call it, it's a noodle volcano. You, you do a big heaping mound of the potatoes and then you, awesome. you push down the ladle in it. And then you get this nice concave area where you just dump the noodles in. It's great. But I'm a big, I'm I'm a big combo guy. I do combo bites. So you get like some potato, some noodle, and some turkey on there. Terrible. Are you a cranberry sauce guy? I, w- I didn't used to be. I am now. The best part about Thanksgiving is the Thanksgiving post-Thanksgiving sandwich that you make with everything on it. That's my yeah. opinion. I, I, I really enjoy Thanksgiving. The problem is I living in this part of an Italian family where Thanksgiving doesn't exist. My mom uh, takes Thanksgiving as the implication that she's allowed to cook one of everything. So, so like a Tuesday? Yeah. So, right. Basically. So at thanks at a normal non COVID Thanksgiving, anywhere between 12 and 16 people probably. And you're talking at a minimum four different pasta dishes, meatballs, uh, all the, you know, first course stuff. All the traditional. And then, oh, like, hey, we got to have a huge turkey. And then wait, let's have a prime rib too. And probably like a ham because just one meat wouldn't be enough. And then 32 things on the side. I don't think I've ever been to a Thanksgiving. This will be the first Thanksgiving. I literally told my mother the other day, I said, I don't want more than one dessert. Um, this will be the first Thanksgiving in my life where there's less than seven desserts to choose from. Well, you're, you're watching your figure. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Noodles. Noodles. And my mom makes this really good spinach salad. It's got egg in it and bacon and it's fantastic. That sounds better, but noodles, that ain't it, bro. 
family recipe, man. I don't know. I, it, they're just egg noodles and they're fantastic. It's like, it's, it's one of my favorite foods. I don't know if I would like it if it was like frequently made. Yeah. This is actually the, the first year I'm actually going to learn how to make them because I've avoided that forever. So I'm going to really go out of my way to learn how to do it. Fire up the mixer, use the pasta attachment, all his wedding gifts finally coming out. No, you're not. Yep. Uh, last topic, Theo Epstein. See ya. See ya. Taking a year off. Isn't this the second time he's done that? What, when, he left the, when he left Boston, did he, did he say he was going to take time off or was it a clean move? I just think he sees the writing on the wall. The team's not going to be good and he doesn't want to be associated with it. He's smart. I think he likes, he likes the build. He even said it, and I saw an interview where he's like, I'm, I'm, I like building things, but I'm not good at sustaining them. So you, that's just knowing who you are, I guess. And also, you don't get, you have to get connotation of failure when the thing breaks. It's great. Mm, they're really kind of broken. They're kind of broken right now. Build Jason. it up, make it look good, and then leave. You never go wrong. He, he, did, he got Boston and, and the Cubs. Excuse me. They, he got both of them off the schneid there. Smart, smarter man than the rest of the world. Because now when, when somebody goes to hire somebody, oh, Theo's available. You know, he was never he was never part of a massive collapse. When in reality, maybe he was. Who knows? Maybe he was. Anyway. All right. Producer Patrick, are you missing anything? Nope. He's giving us the no. You can't see him because he's muted. All right. That wraps up episode 15, Pelotero Pickle. Like, share, subscribe. Like, subscribe, share. 